Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Artisan Podcast. I am thrilled to welcome Sarah Carvalho-Khan to our call here. Uh, Sarah and I have known each other for many, many years, and uh, she was uh, one of our clients several years ago. Today, she is the Director of Culture Transformation and Customer Success at Align Technologies. And given where we find ourselves currently with this remote workspace, um, I thought it would be great to have an opportunity to speak to Sarah about culture and how to create and maintain culture in our workplaces. Now, the conversation that we're having is really me reaching out to Sarah, knowing her expertise and knowing our backgrounds, um, our working backgrounds together. She's not necessarily representing align in terms of the conversation that we're having today. This is really more her experience and her knowledge that she's bringing to the table and sharing with all of us. So without further ado, Sarah, welcome. So great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you as always. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. So I wanted to chat with you about culture. So obviously it's always critical in any organization Um, What I'm finding and what I'm hearing from a lot of our clients and talent alike is maintaining culture in this remote setting, how to go about that and how to even from an onboarding standpoint, how to make sure that message is clear for incoming candidates. Could you talk a little bit about that and kind of how you've gone about uh, fostering culture? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, most recently, I think that the the things that um, I'm working on around culture have to do with a um, couple things. I think connecting to something bigger than yourself uh, is, is first and foremost so that there's a sense of relatedness between between me as the employee and my organization or between me as a contractor and and the person I'm working for there there has to be a real sense of relatedness and you know it, it's so interesting because I think that um, especially in this environment as we have gotten away from the face-to-face you know you have to remember a lot of people have always been living in an environment where it's been remote and uh, you know I know um, a lot of people working freelance uh, in the gig economy economy uh, have been working uh, for a long time this way. And so it's probably not anything totally new for them, although it may be new for the people who are employing them. Um, and so I think that, you know, one of the the very, very, um, I think, important things to keep in mind is that being very, very authentic and genuine, I think is what really helps to create the virtual intimacy 
I think as you're onboarding, making sure that you're working um, with each other and I mean, little things like, you know, of course we all know about cameras now. Um, that's, that's one big thing, but you'd be surprised how many people still don't turn on cameras. Um, but I think really um, more importantly is I, I think a sense of authenticity and connection. Um, I think that that's where we see the greatest um, success. And, and personally, as I've been working with groups globally, um, this is where we've had some really good success in, in connecting with cultures around the world, really, um, different groups, um, just being very honest and open and um, connected and you're with them. It's, there's a mindfulness element as well. I love that. And I love that you use the word relatedness uh, because relationships come Mm -hmm. from relatedness and we really can't build those relationships unless if we're having that connection with each other. I think this is one of the the connections to um, to empathy that I, I know that I have a special focus on right now as I'm working on culture. And, you know, um, there's a, a great book I'm reading right now um, by a philosopher, John Williams. And um, he talks about, uh, he's talking about the attention economy and how we're so distracted um, in this environment and in this world right now. And that leads us to make choices um, about how we interact with each other and how we interact with the world at large that maybe we wouldn't interact with if we didn't have this competition with technology and our attention. I would take that even further in my environment and think about, you know, um, if you if you only see people or customers as numbers, uh, you're never going to connect to them on a human level and really understand them. So it's really necessary to kind of get past the the um, you know kind of get past the point where where you're looking at people um, as as an archetype or a persona and really really individualizing the attention you give them. So empathy is a really big part of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I actually read this quote the other day. Hold on one second. Let me grab it. That uh, really resonated with me. I'm, I'm reading Brene Brown's Dare to Lead right now. She's oh, great. And the quote was, in the past, jobs were about muscles. Now they're about brains. But in the future, they'll be about the heart. Absolutely. That, yeah, director of the London School of Economics, Minouj Shafiq. Um, and that, that's very much what you're talking about here is if, if we don't lead with empathy, if we don't lead from our hearts, um, it's really hard to be able to connect, especially mm-hmm. in this environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that requires people to learn new things, new, learn new skills mm-hmm. um, that may not have um, just been, I mean, I believe personally that everyone um, has a capacity for empathy. I think that sometimes we exercise that muscle more often than less often. And I think that this is going to be a skill that is really, really one we're going to have to exercise in, in order to be able to connect um, to, to each other um, and, and companies and on our employees as well. How do you go about teaching that if, if someone is coming from a place where empathy and being empathetic really hasn't been what they've you know, how they've kind of grown in their leadership um, style? I think, you know, that's a really, that's, you know, the million dollar question right Mm -hmm. there. I think that there's a lot of emerging work on, um, you know, I I think at its its most, um, you know, 
operationalized, you know, how do we measure empathy? How do we, um, how do we measure that? And then how do we teach that? Um, I think that those are two things that we're grappling with at, at the place that I work right now. Um, but I would say, you know, really, it starts with um, a sense of, of knowing who you are first. I think that um, understanding, hearing examples, understanding what empathy looks like, understanding how um, how it feels to have an empathetic conversation. Um, I, sometimes uh, it, it, it just depends on, on what I'm doing um, with my work, but sometimes I will lead a conversation um, about empathy and actually toss it back to the people I'm working with. Do you think it can be taught? And then we have this this kind of um, uh, this dialogue about, well, what does it look like when you're doing it? And, and how does it how does it sound? And we practice actually mm-hmm. we 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 do um you know discussions and this is of course part of design thinking and the design thinking philosophy is that you have empathetic interviews or dialogues with your customers and you know it's just you know taking it even even you know back down to the to the work that i do um with customers it's like you can't solve for something that some pain that people are experiencing unless you go there with them and understand it. And you can't understand it if you're asking the wrong questions. And so a lot of it has to do with really and really asking the right questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes just as human beings, we don't necessarily listen to connect. We're listening to solve Mm-hmm. So our brain is thinking fast about what else should I ask next versus just hearing what somebody is saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm guilty of this too. My husband will tell you, I, I, I'm totally guilty of this. Um, but I think that, you know, um, being intentional, I think is another mm-hmm. thing that's really important. Um, I, I saw this um, show on the life of the Buddha uh, once um, on our public television um, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And there was a point where the speaker was saying, you have to pay attention, pay attention. And so I think, again, bringing it back to mindfulness, what kind of conversation are we having right now? Are you are we having a conversation so that there is an even exchange? Are you listening so that I can just hear you and not provide a solution? Uh, what what are we what are we actually doing? And I think that that's it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's really necessary if we want to connect with people um, and learn learn this as a skill to be better um, in tomorrow's workforce. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you know that I'm uh, fairly involved with the Entrepreneurs Organization. And uh, when we come into our small groups uh, with fellow entrepreneurs, that's exactly what we do. We we actually keep problem solving at bay. We don't come together to problem solve from giving advisory, um, being in an advisory capacity. We come to listen really understanding and knowing that the person probably has the answer within them somewhere. Yes. Right. That's that's right. And just trying to be there and be present with them, maybe experience share if it makes sense, but really just to be there and listen and have them kind of come to the, 
that conclusion for themselves. It's hard. It's totally hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's for me, um, I'm I'm very, very fortunate because I'm also a certified coach. um, And I was lucky enough to get certified through uh, the Neural Leadership Institute, Mm -hmm. which is um, a, a group that really studies how the brain reacts. That's where, you know, relatedness comes in. That's a social threat that the brain responds to negatively. So I I learned all this stuff about how our brains work and what you're saying is so true. I think, you know, I learned that in my coaching um, training and practices, people know what they need to do most of the time. It's just about facilitating that process. And so um, I think personally, that's one of the most rewarding things to see, whether you're managing people or you're coaching somebody or you're volunteering with an entrepreneur organization is to understand um, that you're just a facilitator. You're not there for the to, to give the answer. How do we bring that back to the interviewing um, environment? So, right. So interviewing uh, for talent. You know, mm-hmm. when we're bringing talent on board. Yeah, I think that it comes back to the kind of conversation that you're having. Right. So really in that kind in that context it's um it's you're wanting to hear about the experiences that people are hearing or having and you know it is it is such a challenge sometimes to not sound like a robot and say well tell me about a time well tell me about a time tell me about another time but really um i think that showing genuine interest asking a question saying and how was that for you? What was the outcome? You know, asking kind of those those follow-on questions. And again, it's not looking at my list of questions and knowing that I have to get through eight or nine before the interview ends. It's understanding what you generally need to get out of the conversation. And for me, and this is when I work with, with, with clients uh, in a coaching situation, it's you ask one question that is definitely open and then just dive in and go there with them. And it is so much fun. You know, I mean, you have to keep track of time too, for sure. But really just being very, very curious about that experience that someone is telling you about. And so who did you have to work with on that? And and was that difficult when you had to work different time zones? And, you know, just really getting into the weeds with somebody about their experience. And they'll They'll, they'll tell you, um, you know, probably more than you thought you would ever get. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite questions is just to ask um, candidates on, on the creative side, what project they're most proud of and why. Mm-hmm. And just that pride is just shines through and they talk about what they created and who they worked with and how they overcame the challenges. And it, totally. just, it becomes a story. Yes, yes. And and isn't that what we're looking to to do is find the stories? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Love Mm -hmm. that. So speaking of stories and stories that um, companies tell, you know, really as it pertains into their their core values and the stories of how they present themselves, um, can you talk a little bit about just culture and core values and how the two of them play a role in you know, hiring as well as onboarding uh, someone? Yeah, I think, I think hiring, onboarding, and I would, I would even pull it through to say, you know, the, the whole employee experience, including um, how people perform, 
um, and and how they show up every day, how they treat their coworkers, how they treat their customers, and then how how they offboard. You know, I think that that's a thread, um, the the values thread that you can pull all the way through. Um, so, you know, when I when I first, oh, I'll give you an example of. Actually, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Many years ago, um, when I was working um, at San Jose State University, um, we we had a conversation. We were starting a whole onboarding program, and we had a conversation um, with each other as we were creating the program about our values. And it's like, how do you teach values that you know in a way that it's not going to feel heavy handed, and and in a way that people can actually live these values? And um, what we used to do, uh, which, which which I thought was great, and we we worked with um, a company called ITS that was that was a great company to help us think through how to do this. Um, was really talking about our values, but we didn't just talk about the values. We had discussion about what how that would show up, how that shows up for people in you know in general, and then really having a discussion about how. And I found this to be true in my personal life. If you understand what you're what your um I would say, you know, as as John as James Williams says in in uh, the book that I'm reading about attention, as he talks about, he calls it starlight. So as we understand our starlight and our our guiding principles, then really what follows is is easier. You know, when we have to make those decisions. So when we are when I'm hiring somebody, if I know what I need to be looking for and, and showing up uh, in a candidate, um, that will be much easier. That's going to give me a lot of information when I'm onboarding, again, reinforcing those values, but making it very um very important that people making sure it's very important that people understand that if if they're living by our values as an organization, um it's going to make their lives a lot easier when they have to make decisions because we want people to be empowered to make decisions. And uh, we can't make every single decision for each other. That's just impossible. And so I think it becomes a framework that you can use to make sure that people are are able to, to say, okay, well, if, if this is the decision and I know my value is um, empathy, then this is how I'm going to approach solving this decision on my own. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's that definitely part of it. And I think that, um, you know, again, you can see, you can see it in, in hiring. So there are a lot of really cool assessments now that if you define your values, um, you can actually have candidates take assessments that will, you know, show you basically where there is, um, there is opportunity to grow and where there's a definite match for your core values as an organization. But I think even without, you know, a fancy assessment, um, you can just ask questions about, uh, about values and, and organizational values. Even if I'm, if I'm the head of a department and I want to understand, 
if someone's going to um, work well for my personal values. You can always ask about that as well. And then to the extent that there is um, resonation in the conversation, I think you'll understand to what extent there's a, a connection point. Um, and then again, of course, throughout the employee life cycle and the employee experience, bring those values so that it's not just, you know, when you hire and then onboard, it has to continue to, to, to live. Otherwise, it does feel really empty um, and it's not going to resonate with people when you bring it up once a year during performance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't work if it's just a plaque on the wall with the words. Totally. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think about that. It's, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the worst way to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's it's interesting how your values just show up um, on a daily basis. I think about Artisan's core values and one of our values is agility. And I can say during this pandemic, if it hadn't been for that one core value to really make us be agile and you know just think differently and go with the flow because it was just really, really difficult um, knowing that a particular path that we had planned for 2020 and didn't end up being that path. So to, to, to recognize where those core values are showing up, I think it's important. I think, I think you're totally right there. And I think the other piece of that is to highlight, you know, we wouldn't have chose these core values unless we knew that to be successful in this organization, these are the ones that you need to display, right? Or, or I know personally, you know, where I work, agility is one of our core values too, I, I personally know that if I'm not an agile or if I don't demonstrate agility in my thinking and flexibility, because I think that's part of it, right? Um, I'm going to have a really hard time. And so I think that it's an indicator. I think when you're at a place and you're getting hired or you're going through interviews, you know, if if it hasn't been mentioned yet, I, I would ask what the core values are um, because that will give you some information about to what extent you're going to be a fit for the organization organization. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's a really important thing to think about. And then, and then the organization, um, to, to the extent you can highlight opportunities to share with people, how people are successful so that it keeps it really, um, top of mind for people. Yeah. Important to, to be able to highlight how those values are showing up for them, for sure. Uh, you touched upon something that I'd love to kind of dive deeper on, uh, and that's the employee experience. Mm -hmm. I know I hear about user experience and customer experience all the time. I'd love to just kind of learn a little bit more about EX and what that, what that world looks like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I think there's a, this is a really exciting um, time, I think, for for this kind of piece of the discipline um, to come out. And I, th I say the discipline, I think about HR traditionally, um, has many disciplines. There's comp, there's benefits, there's recruiting, whatever it is. But then there's also, um, you know, an emerging uh, place of employee experience and it's not just in human resources, it's emerging in um, customer experience as well. It's emerging in all, all parts of organizations. Um, and um, there's a research organization called Forrester that, that mm -hmm. where I work, we're involved with. And um, it, it's, it's so cool because when I um, first started working with the CX team, when I was still in human resources before I, I came over fully, um, 
my team and I were really just very um, in, involved in reading everything we could about employee experience and really understanding that there is such a strong connection between the employee experience and the customer experience. Like, you know, you 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 almost can't, if you think about it, you almost can't separate them. Um, and so I had just kind of dipped my toe in the, in the water and asked Forrester um, a little bit about this. And they had they had a lot of articles and research that they had done on this. And so there, you know, it was, it was really, really great to read that there, there are different organizations at different steps in their maturity around linking EX to CX. But, um, you know, I think it starts with, um, you know, we all, we all talk about the customer experience or CX and, um, you know, sometimes we'll do some journey mapping, which really goes through uh, tracking uh, maybe points in a customer's um, journey with us. Uh, when are they going to be, um, when are they going to be more delighted and less delighted at different points in time? And um, I, I think that we really should be doing this with employee experience as well is tracking like, you know, my team did it actually with the help of our CX team when I was still in human resources. So let's talk about onboarding and let's talk about um, the employee when they're for their first, you know, six months to a year, let's track some of those key um, points in time where they're either either going to make a decision or something's going to dawn on them. And let's talk about whether that's a magic moment or a tragic moment. And let's talk about why. And let's look at those tragic moments and see what we can do about it. So I think that that's, you can, you can approach it in very much the same way. But I think that um, what, what would be really cool um, and um, you know, I, I'm sure there's 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 an organization out there. I'm sure there are organizations out there doing this. But you know, how do we kind of overlap that employee life cycle with something that an that a customer is going through? And you know, if there's a point in time when a customer really needs something, and our employees really need the same the same information and can't get it to the customer, that's when things can mm -hmm. fall apart, right? You you mm -hmm. kind of start to could. Uh, start to see some weak links there um, in the process. Yeah. And so I think it's part, um, you know, process re-engineering, part total creativity because you're looking at a journey and you're seeing what options there might be to make it better. Um, but there's also a lot of empathy that's required and, and, and necessary for something like this. I love that. Uh, and really just looking at, because you're right, um, the employee journey really as our internal clients, right? And, you know, making sure that we're giving it as much emphasis, if not more, because if mm. the, the, the employee journey isn't a positive one, um, then it's going to manifest itself externally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, sometimes it happens where you're, I, I had this happen to me uh, maybe a month ago where I had uh, someone on the other end of, of the phone say, yeah, you know, um, 
I, I'm just going to tell you right now, just for full transparency, you know, we're giving you this, this gift card because you had a really bad experience. I would cash it in in the next two weeks, just saying, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening for that employee? What is happening at this company where they have to, they feel compelled to say something. And so I think that's absolutely true. And and I'm never going to buy from that company again. Um, And it's not the employee's fault, but something is broken. And um, I think that it's just, you know, I, and I wouldn't, I think that's an extreme example, but um, I think that these things come up, um, you know, when people are overwhelmed, because their employee experience is such that they don't have any balance, then they're not going to answer customer inquiries, or they're going to be um, there's going to be absenteeism because they're getting sick or whatever it is, right? I mean, it's so mm-hmm. interconnected, and I think that we're just really starting to learn about um, the connection to the C the CX, the customer experience, um, right now. Which so it's an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, just the whole the customer experience, the employee experience, um, and I think internally how we could tie that back to coaching and mentoring and making sure that that employee journey is one that um, is on a growth trajectory, that there are opportunities that we can look internally at our existing teams to see how they can spread their wings and grow. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. important. It it is. It is. And I think that um, this kind of comes back to that that point in time where you, you know, everybody's looking for a personalized experience now. It's just the world we live in, right? And so I think that the challenge for people who are managing other people, um, I know it's a challenge for me when I manage people, is how do I um, make sure that everybody gets what they need, um, it, whether it's, you know, um, a a personal development plan, or maybe somebody just needs um, more of a mentor um, in a specific area. You know, it's 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 so much easier to do a one size fits all. But I think that's where you can tie it back to empathy, because if you actually recognize your your employees as people. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes a little bit more natural um, because you're going to remember, uh, you know, and, and when you start looking at span of control where you're, you're, you know, uh, managing 18 or 20 employees, it of course gets harder. Um, but when you're managing a small team, I think that it's really important, um, more important even to get to know them as people when you're talking about growth, because everybody needs something different. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about assessments. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. We use uh, Strengths Finders here mm-hmm. at, at AutoZone. Uh, my husband's actually a Strengths Finders coach, so cool. I have yeah. a lucky, uh, yeah, lucky assessments, you know, professional um, that can help yeah. us administer this. But I find it ever since we started doing this, I, I found it so eye-opening. Um, and just in terms of my own understanding of myself and how I react to particular things or how I, you know, maybe I should be paying more attention to X, Y, Z because it's important to my employees because their strengths rely on that. Can you share a little bit more about assessments? Is there one that you're a big fan of? Uh, do you recommend companies to use different kinds of assessments? Yeah, I mean, uh, StrengthsFinder is great, number one. Um, I, I love StrengthsFinder. And um, of course, there are so many assessments now. I mean, I, I 
I could tell you maybe just like a fraction of the ones that um, that I that I've worked with because there's so many that you can choose from. Um, I would say you know it, it depends on what you're trying to do with the assessment. So. Um, you know, for example, with Myers-Briggs, obviously you want to be very careful that you're not making hiring decisions because it hasn't been validated for hiring decisions. So I guess that would be the one thing that I would say is if you're uh, wanting to look at exploring assessments, just make sure that it's been validated for hiring and probably you'd want to validate for hiring at your company just to make it legally defensible. Um, I think that uh, from a just an overall good development, I think again, Strengths Finder is is awesome. Um, one that um, that we use right now is called Outmatch, um, and you know I say we, but you know at the company I work for, um, and um, uh, that that assessment is kind of like you have to uh, go through a discovery process of validate. It's validating because it's for hiring and development. So um, that's where they look at your core values and mm -hmm. they look at the things that are important to do well at the company. And um, really there's an assessment, again, it's been validated for hiring. So um, we give it to employees who come through the organization and it is a data point. It's not the data point, yeah. but it's, it's, it's one thing to think about as we're, as we're making decisions. Um, and I think the really cool thing about it though, is that, that you can also not have the person retake the assessment, but you can run it again when they're an employee for development. Um, so that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think that there are just lots of other assessments, but I think that there are also lots of other ways um, to do self-assessment. You know, um, there are lots of frameworks that that you can use. Again, I think it just it just depends on how you're going to use it. If it's for development, I think there's a little bit more flexibility as long as there aren't implications for performance management. Again, there are all these like rules, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, frameworks are, are really great too. Um, there's there's another one that I was actually just thinking about this morning um, called the TKI, and that's the Thomas Kilman uh, Conflict Modes Instrument, mm -hmm. um, which is a really great one. And um, it's not necessarily, you know, to give to, you know, warring factions, you know, you don't give it to different departments that are, you know, having problems, but you give it to individuals. Um, you know, I've done this in, in workshops where we, we look at, it's kind of a proactive way to look at the way that you approach um, approach conflict. And so you may be less assertive and you may, you know, have a different style than someone who's more assertive. And it really just teaches you how to recognize that and then what to do about it um, and, and how to develop in that area. Because I think that, um, you know, and again, this is about teach, this is like when we teach, you know, how to, how to actively listen. Um, the people who, uh, are like me and super chatty, uh, you know, we may be more extroverted and may get our ideas heard a little bit more than someone who is, is 
maybe you're just going to kind of wait, think about it before they chime in, and then it might be too late. Um, so conflict is really, it's not necessarily a, not getting along. It's really, how do I get along in the world of um, all these different ways of um, having different needs in terms of asserting um, ideas? So that's a third. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Because really what we're talking about is, you know, self-discovery really more than anything else is um and that that's why you know i mentioned strange finders we don't use it for hiring uh, that mm-hmm. uh, it's really more for communication it's mm-hmm. like what are our communication styles are you yeah exactly are you high on communication are you high on empathy or and just just having an understanding amongst one another but truly i think all of these assessments and frameworks is a good benchmark just for us to learn a little bit more about who we are. Totally. I think that's, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think, I think that you can find good assessments just like you can find bad assessments <laughs> online. And so uh, if someone is just dipping their toe in the water for the first time, I would just look for something that's been validated and, and that's reliable, like StrengthsFinder. Um, you know, if you're going to use Myers-Briggs, have someone who's qualified to deliver it. Don't do an online assessment. Um, you know, just, just that kind of thing. I think a little of that goes a long way, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's it's more about self discovery and okay so this is what it is and now what am I going to do about it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely well Sarah I want to thank you for the time that you've taken to be here with us and share your insight about culture and core values and the employee experience I think all of it is just so powerful in terms of making sure that we're cultivating culture um in our companies, you know, whether it's in a remote setting or one day we'll be back in person. Um, but I think that the key things of kind of really understanding that communication piece and that empathy piece is so, so valuable to, to hear about. Is there anything else you wanted to add uh, before we, we part ways? No, I think I think that we've covered it. I think that um, you know, I I would just I would just reiterate that I I and I I guess well, yes, there is one thing. Um, I guess I think about um, just the world of work, but it's really um, the world at large. You know how we're relating to each other as people. I think that um, I'm starting to see evidence that there's a little bit of a turn happening where we're not so polarized. Um, maybe just a little bit of a peak of, of of hope that you know. Again, I think that um, empathy and understanding each other better and not as numbers um, and demonstrating curiosity, I think for me is, is how we're going to get to healing, you know, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's, um, you know, two people having conflict or a country or, or different, um, you know, different parts of the world. So um, I, I think it's, it's just been great talking to you and it's been great to kind of reflect on this for myself. So thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting.